Yeah, where are we going with this opening? So, when, I, when like Sean, I was young, a long time ago, when I was young, I was a student at Kansas State University and lived in the dorms there and, you know, didn't keep much there. And there was an event I was invited to, I don't remember if it was a dance or what it was, but a lovely young lady had invited me to something that was either formal or semi-formal. So I'd been home to Topeka the weekend before I picked up my pair of slacks, my dress stuff for that event. And the day came, seems like it was a Saturday, and I put on my pants. And I realized they weren't my pants. Because you see, my brother Pat had also bought an identical pair of pants that I had. And I brought Pat's pants. Now, I'm two inches taller than my brother Pat. So you know where this is going? <laughs> so I slip on my pants. Much to my chagrin, I realize they're not my pants. And guys, I have no options here. This is the only pair of slacks I've got. It's a formal or semi-formal event, and I'm stuck. So you can imagine, it, this should be a, a, a relaxed, affable, easygoing event, right? And, and instead, for me, it's anything but. So, you know, I am self-conscious the whole time. Because I know what this looks like. I, I, I may not share the glasses back then with this guy, but I've got the high water style when high water was not in style. And, and those aren't my pants. And if no one else knows it, I know it. They don't fit me. They never fit me. They will never fit me. I'm uncomfortable the whole time because the pants I had on weren't mine. They weren't going to fit. wouldn't matter what I did to try and get them that way. All of that is to say, on a spiritual level, sometimes you and I are trying to put things on that weren't made for us. We try and put something on, and in our minds, that's my pair of slacks, that's my suit, that's my dress, whatever. In our minds, we think we're putting on the right thing, when in fact, we're not. Paul's going to address this this morning. And specifically, what we're talking about this morning is, sometimes Christians try to put on the law We'll, we'll develop this and flesh this out. Try and put on the law in a way Christians were never meant to wear the law. Paul's going to talk about a lawful and an unlawful use of the law this morning. And I'm chagrined. Uh, I've taught on this very specifically. Two other times, if you have a study sheet, uh, you can reference those if you want. I thought, how much do I go into this issue of the law this morning? We're in 1 Timothy. We're in this study on God's house. And in the big picture, Paul's bringing up the use of the law here this morning in the, in the text that we'll look at is only as part of the ways these teachers and leaders in Ephesus are misleading the saints there, their brothers and sisters in Christ, because they've got deficient motives. So Paul's already talked about some of these guys are teaching myths and genealogies. Well, here, another subset of this group, they're trying to teach the law. And so Paul's just using this as one more of the ways teachers are teaching things from deficient motives and it's towards deficient ends. And so on one hand, I thought I don't need to go into this because it's just one example. And then on the flip side, it occurred to me, and I had a conversation with a friend not long ago, a friend who's been around, who, whom I've discipled in the past, and he said, now Mike, tell me again, what do we believe about 
the use of the law for Christians. And I realize it seems like it doesn't matter how many times I cover this base, the relationship of Christians to the law tends to be one of those confusing holes we fall into all the time. It's a garment Christians think is made for them in a way it's not. They put on that jacket or that pair of slacks and they wonder, why doesn't this work? Why doesn't this fit? It's because we're trying to use the law in a way God never meant for us to. So, if, if this strikes a nerve for you, um, look this up. Look up the other two teachings. Uh, one's out of 2 Corinthians. One out of, it's out of the Ten Commandments, the introduction there. There are study sheets that go along with that as well. Okay, guys, too, this is a huge topic. When you talk about the law, Old or New Testament, it's a huge topic. We're, we're uh, keeping this very narrow this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy. We'll start at verse 3, go through verse 11. Verse 3 gives us context. It's verses 7 through 11 that we'll specifically focus on. And by the way, you remember, if you've been here before, so Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, who's representing him to the church in Ephesus. Uh, So here we are in the ESV, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to teach what they didn't receive from us, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. In God's household, Paul says, we want to teach the things that that equip the fellow brothers and sisters in the faith in a way that encourages them to live life in God's house as God means them to. Verse 5, the aim of our charge or the goal of our instruction, Paul says, is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, these are some of the leaders, some of the elders and teachers, by swerving from these, from these motives for their hearers, have wandered away into vain discussion. We talked about this in the context of shipwreck last week. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know, he says, that the law is good. The law inherently is not the problem here, Paul says. The law is good if, and that's a big if, if one uses it lawfully, appropriately. There's a lawful and an unlawful use of the law here, Paul says. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and slavers, we might say here kidnappers, they're stealing people, liars, perjurers, those folks who are probably slandering others under oath, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The things these guys are teaching are not in accord with sound doctrine that are attached to the proper use and understanding of the Gospel. So Paul says, some leaders in Ephesus are trying to use the law, if you remember this back from Acts 20, because what they're in, 
this for is they're just trying to line up their own followers. They're trying to say something that sets them apart. It's not about engendering Christ-likeness in their hearers. It's about accumulating to themselves their own personal disciples. So, we're going to pick this apart a little bit. First, when we say the law, if I ask you what is the law, what comes to your mind? Because it might be different for different ones of us, right? Also, it could be different for us depending on the context of the conversation we're in. So law could be uh, in reference to only the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Law could be within the Torah from Exodus 20 on where you actually get the commands. We'll talk about this in just a second. Law sometimes could refer to the whole Old Testament. So here this morning, we're probably primarily referring to law as it has to do with the commands that were part of the Old Covenant God had made with Israel. So, this is a mouthful, and this should be on your study sheet. The law here is shorthand. It's a code. It's a word that's meant to reference the following. The conditional covenant made by Yahweh, by God, with the nation of Israel, through Moses, at Mount Sinai, by means of the blood of bulls and goats. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's what the law here refers to. Conditional covenant made by Yahweh with the nation of Israel through Moses at Sinai by means of the blood of bulls and goats. The law has, uh, sometimes we'll talk about it in three different phases. There's a civic, uh, there's ceremonial, and there's moral. The law, from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, you get the Ten Commandments and then the beginning of the law. The law in this sense is as commands as part of that covenant. There's over 600 commands. Sometimes Christians will say to one another about the Ten Commandments, well, of course we keep the Ten Commandments. Now, probably most of us don't anyway, but we misread the law and the use of the law as God always meant it. The law is more than the Ten Commandments. The law is over 600 commands in that covenant that were enjoined on Israel. And if you remember, it was a conditional covenant. That meant God said to Israel... If you will do these things, I will bless you in this relationship we're in. But if you refuse to obey these commands, over 600, not just 10, over 600, you'll be cursed. That's why it was conditional. It's if you do this, this is what you get. If you do that, you're going to get something different. Now today, we call that covenant old. And why do we call it old? The Old Covenant, the Old Testament... We call it old because it's been replaced. It's no longer in force. The Old Covenant isn't in force, and in fact, it cannot be in force. So, we contrast the Old Covenant with the New. So, the New Covenant, that's what we live under. This is a good thing. So, the New Covenant, this should be on your study sheet as well, is an unconditional covenant. God simply says, I'm going to bless you. Doesn't depend, doesn't depend on your obedience and faithfulness. I'm going to bless you. Unconditional. With Jews and Gentiles. Made through Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of this covenant. This will come up later in 1 Timothy. It was made at the cross by means of Jesus' own blood, death, and resurrection. The old covenant is not enforced and it cannot be enforced because like a will... Guys, if you made ten wills, how many count? Only one. Only the last one counts. The covenant is the same way. And if you're interested in this, you can follow this up in the epistle to the Hebrews. It makes this quite clear. 
You can only be subject to one covenant at a time. The old covenant is not in force. It cannot be in force. We're under the new covenant. Some leaders, Paul says, in Ephesus are trying to use the law as a way to accrue followers for themselves in God's household of faith. And Paul says the way they're using the law, they're trying to fit you with clothing that's not meant for you. They're trying to get you in a pair of pants that don't fit you and were never meant to fit you. So he says the law doesn't fit the just. Look at verses 8 and 9 here. We know that the law is good if you use it lawfully. If you use it the way God wants you to, we're good. Understanding that the law is not laid down for the just. Now, just there is a Greek word that usually gets translated justified or righteous. Paul says the law, the way it's being taught in Ephesus, is not meant for those who are already just, justified, righteous in God's eyes. The law, the use of the law these leaders were making was illegal, he says. Unlawful because it doesn't apply to this group of people the way they're saying it does. Leaders were apparently teaching that obedience to the law was a means of justification. So you'll be better, you'll rise higher in God's hierarchy, you'll be a more important son or daughter, you'll have right standing before God if you keep these elements of the law. And you remember in the early church, there was, there was understandable confusion for them because the Jews with a Jewish background are coming out of the law ruling every element of their life. And it's probable that the guys that are trying to sell the law to the primarily Gentile church were probably Jewish. And they may still have been confused about what does this look like now for us? How much of the law do we keep? What's the old versus the new covenant look like, etc.? Paul says, though, that the use they were making of the law is absolutely the way you cannot make the use of the law as those who live under the new covenant. You're already in the household of faith. You're already sons and daughters of the Most High God. If you have faith in Christ, you already have righteousness. You can't get any more. You have Christ's perfect righteousness. So their use of the law is exactly the way Paul says you cannot use the law today. So stick with me. You know, when you read Scripture verses, we tend to nod. So I'm going to read several Scripture verses. So maybe look at these in your own Bibles as we work through these, okay? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3. I'll start at verse 21. And Paul, is, remember, he's saying... There's a just use of the law. There's an unjust use of the law. Related to justification, you can't use it. He says, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. God's righteousness, the justice we need, it's been brought about apart from the law. The law didn't produce God's righteousness for us. But the law bore witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. Paul has, by the way, if you remember Romans 1 and 2, up into chapter 3, Gentiles are guilty before God. Jews are guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. So if anybody's going to get righteous, Paul has already said Jews and Gentiles, they've all missed the mark. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, remember the law isn't in use for the just, we've been justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
If you've been justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, the law does not apply to you as a standard. It's been superseded. If you flip a couple pages back to Romans 10, at verse 3, Paul says much the same thing. He's referencing the Jews there, and he says they are ignorant of the righteousness of God. They're seeking to establish their own. They didn't submit to God's righteousness For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law if you've believed. The law for you as either a mechanism of condemnation or justification, it's already done if you're in Christ. Go to to Galatians 2. Yeah. Little ones are noisy this morning. Galatians 2. Galatians treats much the same theology that Romans does in a smaller version. Um, Listen to these. Yeah, I want to read both of these. Galatians 2, verse 16. Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That's the way the folks in Ephesus were trying to use it. But justified through faith in Jesus Christ, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified by works of the law. This is really important in God's household to get a hold of. We're never justified. We never accrue more right standing before our Father by works that we accomplish. That never exists. It it can't. He talks about in chapter 3.11 of Galatians, it's evident no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The law can't get you where you want to go. He says much the same thing in Philippians 3. I'll just leave that as a reference for you. Also, if you read Colossians 2, 6-22, Paul contrasts religious practices with the life of faith. Religious practice versus the life of faith. So, Paul says, For those who are already justified through faith in Christ, the law cannot serve you. It's a garment that does not fit you. You don't need it to be condemned, and it can't justify you. That that use of the law is, he says, unlawful. So, if there's a lawful use, what's the lawful use of the law today? How are you and I meant to use the law today? Because Paul said the law is not the problem. The law is good. So how do we use it lawfully? So Paul says, contrary to those in Ephesus who want to teach the law that they can gain a personal prominence, it's not for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. In other words, it's for the outlaws. Think of this too, by the way. <clears throat> when you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, because we're religious by nature, we, we want to measure up to some standard of righteousness on our own. It's a default. It's in us. Whether it's God's law, the moral law of the Old Testament, whether it's our own sense of right and wrong, we want to measure up one way or another. But understand this, when we try and use the law or some external mechanism of law in our own mind, just our own sense of what measuring up looks like, we are putting ourselves in the category of people Paul describes here, okay? And see if this is the group you want to be characterized by. This is your group if you use the law. Understanding that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, people who hit their mothers and fathers, 
murderers. This is who the law is for. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, regardless of what the culture says around us today, Paul says the law speaks to homosexuality. Enslavers, kidnappers, those who are stealing people. By the way, sex trade, um, human trafficking, typically what we call it today, probably at all-time highs internationally and here in the United States as well. That's going on. That's who the law is for. Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now for the Jewish element that would have heard this, Paul's probably almost certainly referencing the Ten Commandments. So that first triplet of two statements probably refers to the first three commands related to God Himself. God's holy, don't have any other idols, don't use His name in vain. And then he gets into the last five commandments when he talks about uh, um, honor your father and your mother. Don't strike them. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't take what's, your, what's not yours. Don't slander other people. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. That's what he's bringing up here. And he says the Ten Commandments aren't for the just. Therefore, this unholy group. If we try and use the law as a mechanism for our own justification, we are placing ourselves in this category of people. Probably exactly the place we think we don't want to be. So why is the law for outlaws? How does this work? If the lawful use of the law is for outlaws, what does that look like? Uh, Romans 5, a couple verses there if you've got your Bibles. Romans 5 verse 20. How does the law serve outlaws? Those without law. Paul says there, the law came in to increase trespass. The law came to, to raise the level, if you will, of sin, or at least the recognition of sin. Because he follows this up in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul says this at verse 7, What shall we say that the law is sin? Paul says, is the law the problem with my sin? Is the law sin? Is it deficient? He says, by no means, yet if... It had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. What does the law do for the lawless? It makes them aware of sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, don't covet. Do you see how this works? Someone comes up to me, and guys, this is our culture today, right? I'm okay and you're okay. Okay for me looks a little different than okay for you, but I'm okay and you're okay. But the law says, well, Mike, you're not okay. So I think I'm going along, and by the way, if we're amongst a group of sinners, fellow sinners, and I look at your clothing, I look at my clothing, I say, looks pretty good, looks pretty good. I compare myself to you, you compare yourself to me, and we say, we're, we're pretty good. Until you get to the law. And then you realize, oh, maybe not so much. So Paul says, I think I'm going along swimmingly until the law says, Mike, don't covet. What does coveting look like? Well, I want what someone else has. I want, want what God didn't give to me. And then I say, oh wow, you know what I realize? I covet all the time. That's what I do. That's who I am. But I didn't know that or I didn't recognize it before the law said don't covet. So it's not that the law is deficient in and of itself. It's that the law becomes this magnifying glass. It's this light that sheds light on my sin. The just use of the law, friends, is to show sinners their sin. And this is why when we engage with other folks in the culture around us, oftentimes there's no sense that the gospel is good news because there's no bad news. 
The law says, you're not what you think you are. You've got issues. And God has issues with you. And let's just see what that looks like. Let's look at the law. And the law will show you the ways in which you sin. Paul talks about it this way in Galatians 3. Starting at verse 23, he says, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith. Captive and imprisoned is his language to describe living under the old covenant. So then the law was our guardian, it was our temporary custodian, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Remember, the law is not for the just. If you're justified by faith, the law as a standard does not apply to you. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. We're sons of God through faith. The law was a guardian. The law is meant to get us to Christ. The law doesn't justify us, and if you're just in Christ, it can't serve you in that sense. The law is meant to show the lawless their need of a Savior. Now, do you remember the story? I think these are in both Luke and Mark's Gospels. Do you remember the wealthy young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, good master, what what should I do to inherit eternal life? And the texts are clear that Jesus loves this guy. And And he says, well, keep the commandments. And he says, well, which ones? And so Jesus rattles off several commandments. And the guy, he's not a hypocrite. He honestly says, you know what? I've kept those from my youth up. And Jesus says, great. Now go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And it says the guy walked away sad because he's an idolater. And he doesn't know it. He's kept, he's kept Sabbath and parents and all the other things. There's no way he kept not coveting. All of us covet. But he looked at that list. Jesus said, I'm close on this. Until Jesus says, yeah, but you're an idolater. Because your wealth comes between you and God. You and I might look at elements of the Ten Commandments if we're trying to seek our own justification based on our performance. We might say, I'm close on this. I'm close on this. I'm respectful to my parents. You know, I, I don't lie about other people. You might think you're close. You're not close. That guy wasn't close either. If you think you are, you're wrong. You're not close. But if you still think you are, then follow Kent's lead. Read the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus takes the law. And then he sort of expands it to show the fuller implications. It's not just what you do with your hand, it's what you think in your heart. It's your motives. Guys, none of us are close on this. The law comes in to show us how desperately we are sinful and therefore need a Savior. The law, in this sense, think of it this way. The law is like an impeccably tailored suit or pair of slacks. Or if you're a lady, it's a formal gown. And it's, it's perfect. It's beautiful and it fits you perfectly. And what we do with the law is we hold this perfectly, impeccably tailored garment. We hold this up to the person who doesn't know Christ. We hold that up when we say, here's perfection before God and here's your clothing. And next to this standard, your clothing doesn't look very good. That's what we want them to see. That's what God wants them to see. Not because they'll be justified by the law, because they'll see their need of a Savior. And this is where this goes. This is just a lovely, lovely passage in Zechariah. Zechariah is one of those Old Testament books that probably we almost never read. He's one of the minor prophets. He's right near the end of the Old Testament. 
there's this great passage in Zechariah 3. Zechariah is one of those guys who'd come back from Babylon to Jerusalem, still in ruins, and he's going to be part of rebuilding the temple. They're going to worship God again as he had commanded under the Old Covenant in Jerusalem. And this passage in Zechariah 3 is a lot like Isaiah 6. If you remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees this stuff going on in heaven. He's witness to the heavenly court. Well, that's what's going on for Zechariah here. He's witness to a scene in heaven. And this is what he sees. Joshua was standing before the angel. The angel is the angel of the Lord. That's a name usually reserved for Jesus before the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity. Joshua is the high priest of Israel. Guys, of all people on the earth, Joshua is the holiest person on the planet. Because he's the only person who can once a year go into the Holy of Holies in God's own presence and stand accepted. Joshua is the holiest guy on the planet. That's who Zechariah sees before the angel of the Lord in this heavenly vision. Well, what's he see? Joshua standing there. The angel of the Lord's there. And Joshua is clothed with filthy garments. These aren't physical garments. These are spiritual and moral. The holiest person on the planet stands filthy before the angel of the Lord. And look what he does. The angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Who took off Joshua's filthy garments? Joshua didn't. The angel of the Lord did it for him. Took off his filthy garments. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. As you see in this image. Now Zechariah is standing there and he sees this going on and he can't help himself. Just like in Isaiah 6. Who shall we send? Isaiah. He's not invited. He just crashes the party and says, send me. Well, here... Zechariah is not part of this, and he can't. He says, and by the way, would you throw in a clean turban for him? He's got these clean clothes. Would you throw in a clean turban as well? And so they do that as well. But do you see that? So before the ultimate standard of holiness, the holiest person on planet earth is clothed in filthy rags. But God says, I can do something about that. I'm going to remove your old filthy garments. I'm going to put, I'm going to. You're not going to get these. I'm putting these on you. I'm putting on you the righteousness you can't produce on yourself. So guys, the primary use of the law, Paul says, is to show sinners their need of Jesus and His atoning sacrifice. When we live in the benefit of the new covenant and know we share that righteousness, we understand the limits of the use of the law. The law isn't made for us to put on. The righteousness of Christ is already ours. This, remember the context of this letter. It's, it's life in God's house. It's life in God's house. You may say to yourself, um, Mike, I'm good on this. I don't use the law as a means to justify myself. But do you, do you ever find yourself doing this? If I did X, or if I didn't do Y, uh, God would love me more. Or I would feel better about myself. Now, I'm not talking here about sins that we recognize we want to put away. I was brighter. I was more popular. I, I obeyed more consistently. My Father would love me more. I'd feel better 
before God if I could only do these other things? Well, that's a variation on this theme. And friends, all of us are susceptible to this. But this is the deal. If you're one of God's children by faith in Christ, God cannot love you any more than He already does. Right? God's omniscient and He's eternal. He knows all of our sins, past, present, and future. And He says, I've chosen to set My love on you. You're My child. God can never love love us more. We can never be more righteous in our Father's eyes than the righteousness we've been clothed with in Christ. That truth doesn't lead to more sinfulness on our part, as many people claim. It leads to liberated, loving service and obedience. Because we realize, I can't blow this thing. God is committed to me. He loves me as I am. Fear will only take us so far. Love is the thing, the motivation that will get us all the way home. Now, oh gosh, you know what? I'm out of time. I hate when this happens. I've got two great pages left, so what am I going to say? Look at your, uh, look at your study sheet. And... We're saying the just use of the law, as Paul says in this passage, has to do with showing sinners their sin. The law also, though, is great for us as believers because it does a number of things for us. Nothing wrong with the law. As new believers, we want to err on the side of reading the New Testament, especially the epistles, because that's what's written to us as believers under the New Covenant. Those who are already in the household of faith. But friends, as you grow, you'll see... I love the law. I love the Old Testament. I probably spend more time in the Old Testament than in the New. There's a lot more of it. But you'll find there's so much there for us. There's a number of things listed there on your study sheet again. Sorry for the, uh, for the quick exit here. Let me read Philip Towner in his commentary on 1 Timothy says this, coming back, bringing this full circle. Paul said the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Towner says this, In Paul's mind and in his theology, the other-directed love that characterizes authentic Christian existence is to be found in and through conversion, faith in Christ, and the indwelling Spirit, not in a superficial reading of the law as a moral code. You can read Romans 13, 8-10. It essentially says the same thing. So friends, at the end of the day, we've got a tailored suit, Christ's own righteousness. The law shows us our deficiency. As those who've come to Christ, we share His righteousness. It can't get any better. When we interact with others, what can be the helpful use of the law is to use the law to show them you're not as good as you think. God is holy and you have a problem with God. You have filthy rags. God wants to take those off of you, place the perfect garments of Christ's own righteousness on top of you, you'll then be His child in His house such that He can't love you more. You'll stand justified. You'll stand in Christ's own righteousness, loved by God the Father in His house. Lord, uh, thanks for making us Your children. Lord, thanks a ton for giving us a better covenant. Thanks, Lord Jesus, for bearing our sins in Your body on the cross. Thanks for the blood that cleanses, covers the mercy seat, covers our guilt and shame. Lord Jesus, thanks for clothing us in Your own robes of righteousness. Help us to feel the good of that. Help us to live in Your household, Lord, as those who know we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen.